Hello and welcome to the Sex Within Marriage Podcast. My name is JD and today we're answering more questions from our anonymous habit question page. With everyone coming back from vacations, we seem to be getting more questions again, so today we have about a dozen to get through. And before we get to that, I just want to remind you that the Christian Married Sex Virtual Conference is coming up soon. It's about a week away and you can still get your tickets uh, to get access to a lot of good Christian speakers on the topic of sex. It should be really cool. I'm looking forward to it. As well, we're going to be starting up our Becoming More Sexually Engaged course again this coming week or so for any Christian wives who are interested in improving their married sex lives in a more targeted way. If you're interested, you can check it out on the website. You can go read the reviews there. And if it looks like it would help you, then now's a great time to sign up. By Christmas, you could have a whole new outlook on marriage and intimacy and everything else. We've had wives go through this who are newlyweds, who are in that mothering stage, who are empty nesters. It doesn't seem to matter what stage of life that you're in. The wives who go through it say it's a game changer. All right. With that out of the way, let's get to the questions. Question number one is from a woman who says, I feel like a Snoopy wife, but I go through my husband's activity log on his phone. I've seen that at one point he's been YouTubing sexual videos. He's a man of faith, and I feel like he knows it's wrong. I've told him how I feel about it, but how do I approach him about it without him knowing that I snoop? I get angry when I find out, and I wonder why he does it when we have a very healthy and active sex life. What should I do? Well, first, I think you tell him that you snooped. If you feel this was a violation of privacy, then you should apologize and ask for forgiveness. Personally, in my marriage, that wouldn't be considered snooping. We don't have private lives from each other, so it wouldn't require forgiveness if, as it wouldn't be a breach of privacy for us. Second, one sin doesn't cancel out another one. So even if you snooped and it was wrong, that doesn't excuse his behavior. Apologize, ask for forgiveness, then get back to what you wanted to bring up. Third, don't accuse him. Share what you saw and ask how you can help. You'll have a much better chance of a positive outcome if he doesn't feel like he's under attack. I understand that you're angry. That's a fairly typical response, but it's also not a terribly helpful one. I would say that it's likely more productive to cultivate feeling compassion for him and a desire to understand. Going to your husband and saying something like, I'm sorry, I looked at your phone and I feel like it was a breach of trust or privacy and I would like you to forgive me for that when you're ready. But I would also like to talk about what I found. I'd like to understand why you feel the need to look at women on YouTube and how I can help with temptations like this in the future. Um, that's likely to be more productive than, I looked at your phone and I can't believe what I saw. Aren't I good enough? Don't we have enough sex? What's wrong with you that you have to look at these women on YouTube or whatever? Um, that's just going to put him in a defensive position and he'll probably retaliate about the snooping and then you'll both be angry and we'll have driven a wedge between you two rather than using this opportunity to get closer and move the marriage forward. Question number two asks, Hey JD, I have two questions here. Is orgasm the same as coming? From what I've heard, orgasm is exclusively only for women that quote unquote get off. Rather than when a man gets off, it's not as intense and doesn't qualify as an orgasm, therefore it's coming. Also, I've heard that there are ways for a man to be able to feel the pleasurable sensations of coming while not ejaculating. That those are two separate actions, but happen so close together that a lot of people mistake it as one. Is it possible to separate those two actions and be able to come multiple times before ejaculating? How? Thanks. Alright, so 
colloquial terms like coming tend to be vague. It could be talking about orgasm or ejaculation or both. That's why they're not used in medical context because they aren't specific. Men tend to orgasm and ejaculate at the same time, so coming tends to refer to both as a package deal. Uh, more women, on the other hand, tend to separate orgasm from ejaculation. Uh, many women don't ejaculate at all, so coming tends to re refer to an orgasm, not ejaculation, but not always, as sometimes people do refer to female ejaculation as coming. But I've never heard of anyone suggesting that men don't have orgasms, only that women do, or that the amount of pleasure qualifies whether, whether or not it's a real orgasm. Um, that's not something... I have ever come across before, actually. But, yes, in theory, it is possible for men to separate orgasm from ejaculation, and ejaculation is what causes a release of prolactin in about 90% of men, resulting in a refractory period and the loss of erection. Um, about 10% of people don't experience this at all. Um, no one is quite sure if everyone can learn to do it, although anyone claiming to sell a course teaching you how will, of course, say that every man can learn. However, the general consensus for a method to learn is basically to try to get as close as possible to the point of no return and then stop, squeeze your PC muscles to try and stop the ejaculation from occurring and see if you can still have the orgasm but not ejaculate. Repeat that for days, weeks, months, possibly years, and maybe you'll manage to do it. And that's supposedly the basic how-to. I've never managed to accomplish this. I've talked to very few men who have. So while it may be possible, it doesn't seem to be common. All right, on to question three. This one asks, Hi, do you know anything about a site called OMG Yes? I came across it several times, and it looks quite interesting. I know there's a lot of masturbation, but on the other hand, there seems to be a lot of information that would be useful for couples, too. I would be interested in your opinion. All right. I think OMGS has deceived many Christians by promising educational content mixed with pornography and making it easy to rationalize paying for porn, basically. I think everyone would be wise to stay away from it. If you want to learn how to pleasure your spouse better, practice on your spouse. You don't need to pay to watch other women masturbate to tell you how your wife likes to be touched. You'd be better off spending the time learning how to communicate about sex with your wife without shame or inhibitions and then devoting time to practice. Uh, and I think that's basically it. I mean, the basic premise is that you're going to pay money hoping that some other woman will teach you something about your wife and hope that the effects of watching her masturbate won't affect you in any negative way. That seems like a pretty risky move to me. So, in short, my opinion, I'd stay away from it. Next question is, I'm 72, pretty active for my age. I masturbate frequently. I love edging myself close to orgasm, then stop. I've noticed that I have a lot of pre-cum during these sessions. My amount of sperm has decreased with age when I ejaculate, being more clear than white ropes like years ago. Is this all normal for my age? Um, all I know is that clear or white is considered healthy. Different colors can indicate health concern, and a consistency tends to correlate with frequency of ejaculation and water intake. And that is about all the information I have on that, I'm afraid. Maybe when I'm 72, I will have more information. 
All right, question number five is another quick one. Should senior husbands be more active in encouraging their wives to remain sexually active? Now, my personal belief is that it is the responsibility of whichever spouse's drive is higher to encourage the lower drive spouse to be more active sexually, regardless of age. Uh, eventually, there may be a time when sex becomes medically unfeasible or even impossible, and in those cases, I'm afraid there's not much that can be done. But up until that point, there's no reason not to continue having sex. Personally, I hope we continue to have sex when we're seniors. The kids will be out of the house, periods and pregnancy worries will be a thing of the past, we'll be retired, and hopefully we'll have met all our financial obligations, and we'll be living debt-free, and frankly, that sounds like a wonderful time of life to have some stress-free sex and to have it often so yeah why not question six is hey my wife and i are running into an issue for the past few years i have been asking her to let me finish in her mouth during oral sex let me first say, say though that i'm not annoying or mean about it she knows what i want and that is as far as i go no pressure the other night we were talking about it she brought it up and i told her all the reasons i wanted to finish in her mouth I told her I don't expect her to swallow, and she said she has no choice, that it's easier if she did, which honestly really turned me on. The problem now is that she says the amount of ejaculate is too much. In her words, I could fill up a pint glass. Is there anything I can do to decrease the amount and also force of ejaculate? That was another thing she said, that I could shoot 5 to 10 feet if I orgasmed outside of her. She has no problem doing oral. I enjoy being down there too. She just won't let me finish. Alright, so this is an extremely common conflict in marriage. Uh, it's one my wife and I have had ourselves, but I decided years ago that it just wasn't worth it. Asking just led to fights, which led to resentment and less sex overall. Plus, even if I won and she relented, that's not how I wanted it to happen. So I took it off the table. She's aware that it's a desire of mine, but there's no pressure to engage in it. Uh, if it never happens, I'm perfectly okay with that, because in the grand scheme of things, our sex life is amazing with or without that one activity but if i force the issue on that one i'm fairly certain i'd lose some of the trust that has taken us decades to build up and and that would probably negatively impact our relationship both inside and outside of the bedroom because from our side of th things being the men's side uh, it seems simple she has no problem doing oral why not let me let it finish i let her when i do oral on her after all uh, however, there's a fairly large difference between the two. For many women, having a partner ejaculate in their mouth comes with a few challenges. Uh, first, there's the idea, the concept of ingesting someone else's, even your husband's bodily fluids, uh, for some is just too much to get past, particularly one that came from their genitals. Uh, number two is the taste. Some men's semen just tastes really bad from what I hear. Um, though many people say diet can radically change this, even make it taste good. Uh, Number three is the texture. I think the uh, most concise description I've heard is that it feels like a mouthful of warm snot. Now, drinking water can apparently help this, as most people are dehydrated on a regular basis, but I don't know if that ever really goes away. Then you have the volume. Some men ejaculate a lot, which it sounds like your wife is complaining about. This may reduce with age or by ejaculating first once earlier and then engaging in oral sex later. Um, but it might not. And then the force, again, a complaint of your wife and the same mitigating strategies as volume. But that's a lot of stuff to get past, which men generally don't have to deal with. 
Uh, if she was keen on trying to do it so that she enjoyed it, maybe you could work your way through the list. And But since she's not really on board with it, it sounds like you're going to be fighting an uphill battle. That's a lot of things to get past. So my advice is drop it. It's not worth it. Maybe she'll come to it on her own and want to one day, but maybe she won't. But if you keep pushing it, uh, even if you say you're not being annoying about it, if the uh, there is a constant reminder, um, then there is constant pressure of it. And you're just going to train her brain and her mouth to say no and no and no and no until eventually you've built up such a wall of no's that you're never going to get past it. So I think you're better off letting it go for a while and maybe ask again in a decade. All right. Our next question is like the first one, but with the roles reversed. This husband says, I found out that my wife had searched for porn on her Internet history. In a roundabout way, I found the searches I wasn't looking for. I just happened upon it. When I asked her about it, she denied it. Finally, after telling her I didn't believe her excuses like someone else must have hacked her phone or I was drinking and I don't remember looking that up, she admitted to it. So I'm not sure what I'm more upset about, the watching or the lying. I really feel it is cheating and I don't trust her. Also, her search terms have me hurt. The worst one to my mental health is Big Dick. According to the history I found, I can't tell if she actually watched it or not, but the search is there. I'm pretty well endowed, so it's not like I am small. I can't get all of this out of my mind and wondering what I should do. I do know that she has had some health issues where we couldn't have sex for six months, and I fought hard and didn't look at porn myself, even though I wanted to have the orgasms. I think porn is pretty gross anyways. I feel slighted hugely because I abstained until she was healthy again. I'm worried that this is going to ruin our marriage, and I will not enjoy sex with her anymore. If you have any suggestions, I'm all ears. I can't really afford therapy right now, and my church doesn't have any counseling. All right, so my guess is that you're hurt by the breach of trust. You were tempted and fought to overcome the temptation and managed to make it through, and she succumbed to it. I think feeling betrayed in a way, is a completely natural reaction. I also think that it's likely unproductive. Uh, You seem to indicate this as well, as you feel like this might ruin your marriage. Uh, If it does, it will be due to your reaction as much as her actions. And that's not a popular opinion, but it's reality. So, the question is, then, what do you do? I would see if you can open a dialogue about it. That may be hard because she seems to feel like this is a vulnerable topic. That's probably why she lied about it. She's likely embarrassed and scared. My guess is she knows it's wrong but may not be able to admit it yet. You know, It's humbling to admit that you did something to break trust in a relationship. So I'd maybe start by helping her feel less vulnerable and more understood. Maybe something like, Honey, I understand I felt tempted by porn as well in the past. You know, that would help her not feel alone. Then offer help rather than condemnation. Offer to be there whenever she feels tempted, to help her with her temptation by providing a real relationship, not a fantasy. In short, you know, you have to reframe it so that you look at her with compassion as a human with a sinful nature, as we all do, because we all need that love and support. And that's how you get through trials like this, because one day you may need her to look at you in the same way when you've done something wrong. And this goes back to something that I say over and over and over again. Learn to cultivate an attitude of you being a team, of it being you against the world, uh, not you against each other. 
the idea that she hurt you doesn't fit within that construct. Rather, you have to look at her like a teammate who has fallen and needs help. Because what's damaged here is not just you, it's both of you and your marriage together. You're in this together, so work together to get out of it. That's how you use events like this to actually grow your marriage rather than have them drive a wedge between the two of you. All right. Question eight. This is the one that's going to get me in trouble. So this person writes, Hi, Jay. I have loved your podcast, having been raised in a very conservative small church that never talked about sex. Unfortunately, that upbringing led to several painful experiences. However, the Lord is good. He redeems, and I'm so thankful that he does. I'm now in the process of becoming Catholic, and I'm also dating a man who is in the same process as I am. We are having a lot of conversations about the future, and we are planning out our timeline at the moment. We've been seeing a counselor since a few weeks into our relationship because we knew we were moving in the same direction and wanted to make wise decisions and be kept accountable. Neither of us are virgins and are really working hard to set us up for a win later on. My question lies with this. Is birth control really sinful? The Catholic Church teaches that to contravene God's design for sexual relationships is a mortal sin. I've asked my Catholic friends and other women who assent to that belief, but I'm not sure that I do. It wouldn't prevent me from joining the Catholic Church because ultimately I know if not using birth control is what the Lord says is right, then I will submit to that. Because, but because I do not actually want children and neither does my boyfriend, it would be a hard submission for, the, for us and we want to make sure it's actually right. To give you some context, we have both studied Koine Greek, and he is a, pursuing a master's in theology, so we are both actively studying this, as well as all the resources we can think of, which has brought me to this question in this forum. Also, using hormonal birth control isn't an option for me anyways due to some health complications, so our options would be limited anyways. What do you feel are the ethics of using birth control, and what are the, some options for contraception that some of your supporters use that are non-hormonal. Alright, so here's where I get into trouble, because you've asked me my opinion, and my opinion in most, thing, most things does not line up with Catholic doctrine, because, well, I'm not Catholic. I'm a Protestant for a reason. We protested against Catholic theology. In fact, the denomination I'm in is split from Protestants because we didn't think mainstream Christianity went far enough away from the Catholic Church we think it still follows too many of its doctrines. And on that point, some in the Catholic Church actually agree with us. There's a friar, Leo Broderick, from uh, Michigan, who wrote once that people who think that the Scripture should be the sole authority should logically become Seventh-day Adventists. So, if you're looking for a Catholic answer, I'm not a good source. For myself, no. I don't think using certain kinds of birth control is sinful in the least. I do agree with them that going against God's plan for sex is sinful, but not that birth control in and of itself is against that plan. Now, as some of our supporters mentioned in our private forum, if you believe it's a sin, then you, it would be wrong to go against your convictions. However, in your case, you have no such conviction. But then that's further complicated if you profess to be Catholic, because my understanding is that if you also profess the Pope to be the vicar of Christ on earth, which by extension makes his and ultimately all Catholic doctrine infallible, then you have an issue because a Catholic who does not agree with Catholic doctrine is, well, problematic in the Catholic faith. 
Protestants don't quite have the same issues because, well, we don't have a person who we believe to be infallible to tell us which viewpoints are correct or not, and so there's more room for interpretation. As such, you get people who join denominations without agreeing to all of its precepts. I would consider myself one such adherent because I disagree with my denomination's official stance on some things. However, I don't know how you do that when the supposed voice of God is present and ratifying the doctrine you profess to agree to. I suppose that's why there aren't denominations of Catholicism, although I would imagine there are less talked about or recognized theological schisms within the religion. So, all that said, I suppose my stance is that you should do your own research, as you've been doing, and then act in accordance with your convictions rather than asking someone to tell you what you believe. Um, to understand the specific question, though, uh, check out my post on birth control options for Christians as I go into a lot more detail about your more specific questions about options and everything like that. Uh, there's a link to it in the show notes and on the blog post. Question number nine is, hi, Jay. Thank you for having this anonymous forum. My question is of a delicate nature. I can smell my wife's butt when we are making love, especially in the doggy style or any other rear entry positions. In fact, I've been trying to avoid these positions as much as possible, as the smell can be very strong and overpowering. I have been married for a few years, and it has always been the case. Perhaps recently, I have just gotten more sensitive. I have no idea what to do. Please help. There aren't really any options other than talking to your wife about it. Uh, marriage involves uncomfortable conversations sometimes, and if you want a good marriage, learn to have them. It's a lot harder to do early on, but it's also a good time to start learning, because if you can get over the hump of having difficult conversations early, it'll be much easier later on. So there is a pretty good chance that she's going to be offended and upset because she feels embarrassed and vulnerable, similar to some of the questions above. Uh, even with good intentions and the best phrasing, I think that's still the likely outcome. It doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do, though. So start with, I love you, and I want to talk to you about something that you're not going to like, and that way you give her permission almost to be upset, which is likely going to happen anyway, so you might as well lean into that. And then you just say what you have to say, and weather the storm because yeah there's a good chance that she's going to break down and be upset and everything but there's also a chance that there's going to be change coming from it when she calms down question number 10 is simply what sexual behavior is prohibited by the bible that is a very small question for a very large topic however the short answer is anything not involving your spouse is out. That's prohibited. Anything involving someone other than your spouse is prohibited. Anything that causes harm, which doesn't mean pain necessarily, be it physical or mental, I would say is out, given the principles of love in the Bible. And I think that's about as succinct an answer I can give. Now, if you have something that you think doesn't fall within those things, or falls outside of those things, come to the blog, write a comment in the bottom. It can be anonymous. And, yeah, we'll see if I covered that well enough or not. All right, number 11, second last one. This one's actually kind of cool. This person writes, This is less of a question and more of an update. I messaged you previously about what you knew about using Zoloft to help with PE, premature ejaculation. I just got an prescription from my doctor and I was looking for advice. I had been using it for a couple months and the results have been great. I take 50 milligrams in the morning and 50 milligrams about 4 to 5 hours before sex. We tried 50 milligrams the day before and the day of both ways work the same 
We have to plan a little bit more, but that hasn't been an issue. I've gone from less than a minute to easily going 8 to 10 minutes. It's been a lot of fun. I recommend talking to your doctors if you have premature ejaculation. It has been a great change for us. And that's awesome. Thanks for the update. So if you struggle with PE and you're trying to find solutions, that might be something to look into. Uh, Thanks for coming back and giving us an update. And lastly, question 12, which is a long one. And this is less of a question and more of a debate. But here we go. So he writes, and I'm assuming it's a he because it's always a he with this topic. Why are you twisting what King Solomon said? As a lily among the brambles, so is my love among the young women. Song of Solomon 2 verse 2, which you brought out and is clearly not talking about one wife. Anyone with a brain knows that brambles are plural, meaning more than one, as well as the literal word of women, which is also plural. And when I read from the King James Version, which is where you should have read it from, it reads, As a lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Again, thorns, plural, and daughters, plural. It shows his love was for many daughters. It is very clear that you are not addressing the questions with a biblical understanding. You speak of Solomon as if he was Nimrod, strong but stupid. Your comment about God gave him this wisdom, but he still got multiple wives is ridiculous. Uh, The only one that made a mistake concerning wives was David, who committed adultery. Otherwise, God would have addressed Solomon on his wives, which he didn't because there was and still is absolutely nothing wrong with that. And if you truly believe in God, you would be speaking the truth on this matter. As far as that happens to Jacob and his wives, it's clear that you haven't read on. It tells you not to marry sisters because of the family rivalry, not because it happened to be more women. Leviticus 18, verse 18, King James Version, Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. So if you are truly for God, I encourage you to look deeper into this post. The person that asked you the question had a great point about Jesus the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you did as well when you mentioned how he didn't come to destroy the law or the prophets, the Old Testament, meaning that unless he clearly states in the New Testament men should not have more than one wife, then it's still an option. I know there are scriptures that mention having one wife in the New Testament you may be able to use to argue, but with that being said, it still doesn't speak against having more. So where there is no law, there is no sin. So you'd be lying saying men cannot have multiple wives if they choose. All right. So let's start with Song of Solomon's 2 verse 2 passage. Like a lily among the thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now, I think you've misread the quote. It's not saying that he loves all the daughters or maidens or thorns or brambles, etc., but rather that she stands out alone against them all. The contrast is clear. She is the single love out of all of the options available to him. She is the one lily among the thorn that he thorns that he rejects. So, I think the message makes it clearer in this case, even though you seem to want to stick with the King James Version for some reason. Uh... A a lotus blossoming in a swamp of weeds, that's my dear friend among the girls in the village. You know, and she echoes the same contrast back in the next verse, saying, Like an apricot tree among the trees of the forest, my beloved among the young men. Uh, It is singling out her husband from among all the potential suitors. If we went with your interpretation, then we'd have to believe that not only is it okay for men to have multiple wives, but for wives to have multiple husbands. And so you'd basically be okay with polyamory. 
as for the rest of the examples, every time a husband has multiple wives in the Bible, it leads him to trouble. It doesn't matter if they're sisters or not. And as you say, there's clear command that men should have, shouldn't have more than one wife. So I'm not sure how you twist that into permission to have more than one. And you're where there is no law, there is no sin from Romans 4 verse 15, you've taken in a very odd direction. That's not a statement to say that every sin has to be spelled out explicitly or else it's not a sin. That would suggest that murder, theft, adultery, idolatry, and all the other Ten Commandments weren't sin for the first 2,500 years of human existence. Cain murdered Abel before murder is called a sin. So then why did he get punished? Because murder is a sin whether or not there's an explicit law telling you there is. In the same way, as the Israelites' tabernacle imperfectly reflected the sanctuary in heaven, the law in the Bible is an imperfect reflection of God's perfect law. It is immutable, unchanging, and whether or not you're aware of it doesn't change the absoluteness of it. In other words, things are not sins because God told us they are sin. God told us they are sin because they are not loving. And I'm hoping I'm saying that in a way that's clear. Uh, in short, the arbiter of what is sin or not is God. It's not the Bible. So, no, I reject your premise that if God didn't say it's wrong, then it's okay. Especially in cases like this, where God did clearly tell us what his intention was for us. And as you said, there are multiple verses about men having only one wife. And in Genesis, it flat out tells us, you know, one wife or one husband. So, if you want to read more about my thoughts on this topic, I suggest you check out the post, When Did God Stop and Allowing Multiple Wives, uh, for a more in-depth discussion. And those are the questions for last month. October is coming up soon, so I'll be working on September's questions shortly. You still have time to get yours in if you want it answered in the next post. Also, if you'd like to be part of answering them and join the discussion or just see the discussion before without having to wait a month to get to them, check out our supporters page to access our forum because they get sneak peeks at all the questions as well as my responses. As always, a big thank you to all of our faithful supporters who discuss the topics, share their thoughts and viewpoints, and help keep our ministry going. Um, check out this Married Sex Virtual Conference and our Becoming More Sexually Engaged course, if you're a wife and that sounds of interest or help to you. And that's it for today. Talk to you later. <laughs>